Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today we are greatly, greatly honored to have Douglas McGregor, retired Army Colonel, that is going to be on with us to talk about what's going on in Ukraine, why it happened, where it's going, and to give you insights and observations that you're not getting from the mainstream media. As you know, I call them prostitutes, media whores that get paid to put out by their corporate pimps and their government whoremasters. So thank you so much, uh, Douglas, for being on. And in talking about the Ukraine war, I just want to set the stage here, is that when you go back and follow the coverage of the Iraq war, the Afghan war, the Syrian war, the Libyan war, the ongoing Yemen war, and how the media covered it and is not covering the Yemen war, and see how they're covering the Ukraine war, we're in an entirely different world. So you have, for example, from the New York Times, a Russian blasts civilian targets. A Russia blasts civilian targets. Residents vow to fight. They never had Iraqi uh, America blasts civilian targets. Iraqis vow to fight. They never had, as they have in this paper here, the New York Times, hospital hit as attacks on civilians grow. They never did that when America killed over 800,000 Iraqis, uh, what, about 600,000 plus Syrians, a um, couple of hundred thousand Afghans. So it's a whole different perspective here of what's going on in Ukraine and how the media is covering it. And I would like your assessment of how the war began, where it's at, and where it's going. Well, it's, it's interesting that you asked that question up front because I just finished watching Zelensky speak to uh, various parliaments as well as our own Congress, urging everyone to rescue Ukraine on the grounds that we were faced with something similar to Pearl Harbor. <laughs> and it struck me that this entire event has been turned into a wag the dog moment. Uh, because it just doesn't bear any resemblance to reality. Uh, carefully omitted from the discussion are the last 30 years of experience that the Russians have had with us and with the West, uh, not the least of which is the last sort of 15, really going back to 2007 when Putin came to the Munich Security Conference and essentially outlined his objections to what we were doing in the expansion of NATO. And he's kept up that drumbeat ever since. He was not the first, by the way. Yeltsin actually asked, what are we doing? And of course, half the time he was not compass menace, as we now know in any case. But nevertheless, he did. And we always told him the same thing. Well, don't be concerned about this. This is no threat to Russia. And the point was, well, wait a minute. You told us that when we evacuated Eastern Europe, we pulled all of our forces out, that you would not follow, that you would not try to fill the uh, vacuum. And when the decision was made to bring in Poland, there were lots of people in Europe who said, you know, this is very dangerous because the Poles so thoroughly hate the Russians 
that we're inviting a country into the alliance that could conceivably become one day a catalyst for conflict with Russia. Of course, that was all brushed under the under the rug, so to say. So here we sit uh, after the coup of 2014, when we systematically installed a new leader in Ukraine, backed new forces in that country that were unalterably, irretrievably hostile to Russia. And we've been building uh, Ukraine into a base for the projection of either direct military power or subversion against Russia ever since. So finally, uh, after pleading and pleading and trying to get, get people to listen, I think Putin decided he had no choice. He was afraid that no matter what we said, eventually we would bring in Ukraine and we would have missiles and forces on his border the way the Soviets had put missiles and forces in Cuba uh, 90 miles from the United States. So he felt he, he had no choice. He had to go in. Now we can debate how it's being done and so forth, but I, I do have sources that I talk to over there and cer certain things are clear. First, they were very restrained during the first five days because Putin had given strict orders that they were to avoid at all costs civilian casualties, that they were to limit damage to infrastructure, buildings, property, homes. After five days, they accomplished most of their immediate objectives, but they then began the process of hunting down and destroying Ukrainian forces, which they've succeeded in doing to the point where Ukrainian forces have now been driven into cities and towns where they're encircled, can't get out, can't move, can't be resupplied. And it's no accident that uh, the Ukrainian forces have done this because the civilian population provides a, immediately a shield. Because Putin has decided that when this is over, he wants to be able to live with the people in eastern Ukraine, whom he regards as largely indistinguishable from his own. We don't seem to understand that. So you're talking about headlines. I, I, I read a headline today that said that uh, the Russians had deliberately halted the movement of people out of Mariupol through a, a humanitarian corridor. Well, I know that's not true because yesterday I was sent video from Eastern Europe showing Ukrainian troops preventing people in Mariupol from moving through the corridor that the Russians had set up. And there are 3,000 members of the Azov Battalion or Regiment or whatever they call themselves. They're fanatically anti-Russian and they won't let people leave the city. Uh, this, this sort of thing isn't reported. All we hear is a, sort of a black and white picture. On the one hand, we have Zelensky, who is now competing uh, with Mother Teresa for the Nobel Prize. And on the other side, we have uh, Vladimir Putin, who is in the pantheon of evil men, along with Stalin and Hitler. Uh, it's just not that clear. It's not black and white. And there's no, no one interested in, in examining the truth. So if you speak up and you suggest any alternative to the narrative, you end up in the penalty box. You're taken off Twitter. You're excluded from the airways. Your material is imprinted. It's not a good thing. Well, it's really, um, it has been going on like with the COVID war. If you said anything contrary to what the government was shooting out, then you were blacklisted on, on the social media and you weren't allowed to be on any of the other media. The only people they would bring on is a Fauci to keep selling his false crap. And if you said anything that was against what the drug dealers were selling, then you were banned. So this is the censorship of what used to be America, the land of the free. 
And what you are saying, for example, I read that 20 people were killed, 36 more were injured this past Monday in um, the Donsk Republic from missile attacks by the Ukrainian troops. None of that made the media. No. It never no. made the media that since the overthrow, and by the way, this is the Trends Journal from um, spring of 2014 detailing the United States coup of Ukraine as it was happening. So all the facts are here. A matter of fact, there's a great article in here by Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, uh, who was uh, Reagan's a former, former um, assistant treasury secretary. Washington is driving the world to the final war and about how a lot about the overthrow of the democratically elected government of Viktor Yanukovych and how um, Victoria Nuland, an undersecretary under Obama and another undersecretary now under Biden, boasted that Washington had invested $5 billion to NGOs, non-governmental organizations, to, quote, teach democracy to Ukraine. This is in 2013. Anybody could Google it up. Victoria Nuland, 2013, Washington, D.C. And she's giving this talk over in D.C. And over one shoulder is um, uh, assigned Chevron and the other one ExxonMobil. Yeah, you can't make this up. But again, like I say, you think the United States would have invaded Iraq and Syria and Libya if their major export was broccoli? <laughs> you know, so well, the way we're headed right now, we may be grateful for broccoli. And that's yeah. what a lot of people don't understand. Well, we may not be able to afford it. You know, that's all we could eat because these sanctions are only hitting we the people. And again, we I just had Judge Napolitano on and he was talking about how illegal and unconstitutional these sanctions are and that they have no they're not doing anything, by the way, to do it. You mentioned Cuba, the missile crisis. We've had. Judge Napolitano mentioned we had uh, what, sanctions on Cuba since 1962. Has it changed the government? Has it changed the government of, of, of Iran? Has it changed the government of Venezuela? No, it only hurts the people. And yeah, it's hurting us just, too. You just hit on something that is uh, widely believed here in Washington. You know, one of the problems we have in Washington inside the bubble, some people call it Versailles on the Potomac, is that they believe their own nonsense. They, they're drinking their own Kool-Aid. It's gotten to the point where people in Washington truly believe that Russia is now on its last legs. Yeah, I know. The Russian army is defeated. And that if we just continue to supply these Ukrainians and, and impose sanctions, that we'll bring down the Russian state and remove Putin from power. It's, it's astonishing. After well, only three weeks. Yeah, or th three weeks. The United States was only in Afghanistan for how many years? Yeah. Yeah, 20? Operation Enduring Freedom? And then you remember Mission Accomplished in the Iraq War. I mean, George Bush, you know, you want to talk about a murderer and a war crime criminal. Every, you know, so many of us knew uh, Phil Giraldi, the former CIA guy, that, that quit the CIA because they knew that they were lying about Saddam Hussein having weapons of mass destruction and ties to al-Qaeda. How come they don't call him a war criminal? Here, this is another headline from the New York Times. U.S. will send more arms defying Moscow. Suppose the headline read, 
Moscow will send more arms defying U.S. during the Afghan, Iraq, Libya, uh, and, and other wars. Or, how, or, how would that headline, how would that headline read? Well, more important, if we were supplying uh, the drug cartels and uh, Mexican insurgents with lethal weaponry for use against the United States, then we would have hundreds of thousands of people demanding immediate action. Yeah. We'd mobilize the entire Air Force and Army to go down and punish Mexico. Yeah. No, I, you're right. This is, a, as I said, this is, looks like a wag the dog moment. Yesterday, it was interesting listening to Senator Marco Rubio, whom I normally don't hear much from. But he, he actually said something that was worth listening to. I guess even a broken clock is right twice a day. He said, you know, Russia is not Iraq. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. And you were saying. What an illuminating statement. So I like your perspective on what's going to happen because U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken told BBC that he's convinced Ukraine can win the war with Russia. Well, he's a military expert of some renown, lots of time on the battlefield. Uh, he's studied these matters in great detail, so I'm sure he, he has a point somewhere in that. Blinken is taking all of the information and insights he gets from Newland, repackaging them and repeating them. So the, the Newland-Blinken access is really driving foreign policy. In the meantime, you've got people behind the scenes that are saying our economy is extremely fragile. Even Mohammed El Aryan, who is, is a pretty sharp individual in my judgment when it comes to economics, he said publicly, you know, a hundred point increase in the, in the interest rates, just a 1% increase in interest rates could send the American economy into a deep recession or worse. Well, gosh. I wonder where we're headed at this point. We're looking at we're looking at this supposed world enraged by Russia's behavior, only to discover that the entire peninsular Arab contingent is now sitting down to do business with China, putting the petrodollar at severe risk. India has joined with China and refused under any circumstances to condemn the Russians for what they are doing. Don't get a peep out of Africa or Latin America by any means. So where does this leave you? It leaves you with the Europeans and the North Americans. But what are the Europeans really saying? Well, the Germans announced that they couldn't possibly support sanctions on oil and gas under any conditions, or they risk unemployment on a grand scale, throwing hundreds of thousands of people out of work, perhaps poverty, or what they won't admit publicly are mass uh, discontent and riots in the streets because people can't work, they can't live. We forget petroleum is part of so much of our society to dismiss it out of hand as evil because it's carbon-based is an impossibility. No one in Europe is happy about this. All of the Europeans want this to end. We're the ones who are driving this train and saying, we must win in Ukraine. This is an existential fight for us. No, it's not. It is an existential fight for Russia. Russia has a vital strategic interest in Ukraine. We don't. We don't. But we're driving it, driving it very hard. So who is behind it? Because the thing that's so striking to me is that we go from the global threat of the global caliphate to suddenly China is an existential threat to everyone to now 
Putin, the archdeacon of all evil, is the principal threat who must be destroyed. These things happen so rapidly, and the Congress is almost universally unified in its thinking about this. Who is in charge? I don't think Biden thought this up. I really don't. This doesn't track with Joe Biden over his lifetime. And Joe Biden, to his credit, has said no troops on the ground in Ukraine. No fly zone. No MiGs flying from a NATO country, whether they've got Ukrainians or anybody else in them. So he's still somewhat in touch with reality. So where does all of this come from? I think it comes from where General Dwight D. Eisenhower, five-star general, supreme commander of the Allied Forces, and two-term president, in his January 1961 farewell address, warns the American people that the military-industrial complex is robbing the nation of the genius of the scientists, the sweat of the laborers, and the future of the children. Look what you talk about. You talked about Biden today. He just another 800 million of our dollars going to Ukraine. They just spent what another 13.6 billion dollars to go to Ukraine after a billion point six had already been sent there as our roads and rotten infrastructure. 61 percent of Americans living paycheck to paycheck and they keep building up the war talk and And building up the military industrial complex. And what is this government in Ukraine? We don't have much evidence that this man Zelensky really controls anything that's happening on the ground in Ukraine. His forces are out there operating independently. When the war began, Ukrainian commanders complained they had no orders. They acted independently, doing whatever they thought they were supposed to do. This is one of the most corrupt places in the world. Where is all of this money going? This is insane. And then no one bothers to note that vast quantities of, of the weapons that we've been sending over to Ukraine are already sitting under control of the Russians. They've captured it. Wow. Wow. You know, now, you were talking much, before. I don't know, but I know they've captured lots of our javelins, and I suspect they've captured a lot of other things. You know, you were talking about uh, Europe's neutrality. In one way, yes, but in another way, no. I mean, we just saw that, you know, Germany's buying F-35s, and they've just increased their defense budget by a big number. And they're all building more and more military. Yeah, but you know, the problem and you t- in Germany and the problem in much of Europe is that to build an effective military establishment really takes a decade. So they're a long way from feeling oh, anything. You know, so it's, it's all symbolic to satisfy us. Yeah. On the one hand, no, we're going to buy oil and gas from the Russians. And the Russians are going to continue to profit from this. And we're sorry about that. But we need it. We have to do it. So what we'll do is we'll buy F-35s, ah. and that is to compensate you for the damage we're inflicting on your sanctions regime. Ah. You know, you talked about um, Zelensky and him not leading. This is a guy, and you can't make this up, as you well know, before he became president of Ukraine, he played as a comedian the president of Ukraine. And now we got the comedian who played the president of Ukraine becoming the president. So, I mean, he's a brilliant guy, obviously, and very strategically, you know, schooled. So he's right on top of running the military. Well, his principal mission is to entertain the West. He seems to be doing a marvelous job of that. That's right. right. He's doing it well put. You know, you talked about Blinken not knowing anything about anything. Oh, by the way, this is the Blinken, by the way, 
that Obama sent over to Yemen when the Saudis launched the war against uh, uh, the Houthis from Washington, D.C. back in March of 2015. And Blinken was sent there to give them, quote, intelligence as the United States is refueling the Saudi jets to bomb the, and create the worst humanitarian crisis on earth over there in Yemen. But beyond Blinken, they say that um, U.S. Army General Ben Hodges has predicted Russian forces will be unable to continue their assault on Ukraine 10 days from now. <laughs> well, he obviously has uh, intelligence and information the rest of us don't. And, and he should know because, you know, they did it with, with this guy in Iraq or was he in Afghanistan? Well, I mean, I'm not sure service there is going to confer any great wisdom on any senior officer. Everything there was a, in, a, in a counterinsurgency environment against an enemy without armies, without air forces, without air defenses, without a real economy, without a real government. It, it's hard to draw on that uh, to understand anything happening on the ground in Ukraine. He was the three-star who commanded, quote-unquote, U.S. Army Europe, which the Army wants to upgrade one more time to another four-star. Remember, we have right now 44 four-stars on active duty in the U.S. Army. <laughs> and at the height of World War II in 1943-44, when we had 12.2 million men in uniform, we only had seven four-stars. Wow. What's well, a bureaucracy? It makes you wonder how they could have possibly been successful at all with only seven forces. Yeah, it's a bureaucracy. That's all it is. I mean, that's all it is. And then and we have this other guy, um, Francis Fukuyama. Oh, Fukuyama, yes. Yeah. And he said Russia faces outright defeat and sudden collapse in Ukraine. Yeah. Well, he has to say that because he's been predicting, as you know the end of history and the conversion of the world into this globalist community of nihilist Marxists, atheists, and multiculturalists. So if he suggests that there's any other possible outcome, especially with Russia that has rejected open borders, rejected denationalization, the kind of thing that has been underway in Western Europe and here in the United States, then he's effectively admitting failure. He, he'll have to go down with his proverbial ship so he's going to claim that Russia is doomed until the last Russian uh, expires in about five or six hundred years. <laughs> and then we have the Senator Reich, Rich, from Rich. Ida Idaho. He goes, uh, you know, fighting Russians. He said, no, I wouldn't call it World War Three. It would end pretty quickly, I think, because with the conventional forces, that he's had there, meaning Putin. You know, we haven't seen this kind of ineptness in a long, long time, so I'm not concerned about this. Well, first of all, you should look up Senator Rich's donors. That's very enlightening. If you want to understand, as you know, and you pointed this out before, you want to know why these people say the things they do, why they vote for the policies they do, understand their donors. Everyone is donor-focused on the Hill, not interested in the American people. Now, Rich is saying this presumably because he wants to minimize the fear that any healthy American would have of a war with Russia that could ultimately escalate to the nuclear level. And the other thing that he doesn't bother telling anybody is that if it got 
to the point that he's talking about, where the Russians thought they were at war with us, the Russians would mobilize the country. Uh, I don't think we're prepared to mobilize anybody. Uh, Russia has excellent societal cohesion. No one's confused about who and what they are in Russia. They're Russians, and they will fight for Russia. When you go to Western Europe, you run into people who are as, almost as confused as we are about who and what they are and about what the purpose of everything is. But I think this whole thing is just, it's a wag the dog moment. People are trying to cash in on this for some of the reasons that you mentioned. But look, the Italians have already said, we're not going to war with Russia. We're not contributing to this disaster. The Hungarians have said no thanks. The Croats have said no thanks. I don't see any evidence that the Bulgarians are interested. They'll host a couple of F-15s from the Netherlands who want to go down there and fly for training. But I don't see much happening. The Romanians, they have a lot of experience with the Russians, and the Romanian military certainly doesn't want to re-familiarize with that. All of this is nonsense. This is going to end sooner than anybody thinks. But it's lasted longer than most anticipated. And part of the reason for that is Putin doesn't want to kill large numbers of people in eastern Ukraine. And he's held back his forces. And if anything, when I look at the forces over there, they are remarkably better than what I remember of the Soviet armed forces in the 80s. When I saw them in the 80s, they were a lot of very unhappy, miserable conscripts who didn't want to be in service at all. The, the gap between officers and enlisted was like the Grand Canyon. I don't see that with this force. I see them as having behaved remarkably well. And just look at the way they wear their uniforms. Look how they behave at railheads. I mean, I could go on and on. This is a better force than existed 25, 30, 40 years ago. But it's a small force because it was never designed to do more than it's done. It's essentially a defensive force. It's not designed to attack Western Europe or Eastern Europe or anywhere else. The Europeans know that. That's why they haven't been willing to spend very much money on defense, because they don't feel threatened. Now we're pointing to this and saying, see, you were wrong. This is a danger to you. But the Russians do not want to cross the Dnieper River. They've only surrounded Kiev because they are compelled to do so, trying to bring the Ukrainians to their senses and sign up for the terms. And what are the terms? Number one term, neutrality for Ukraine, period. No block membership, cannot be aligned. Number two, recognize the independence of the Russians who live in the Donbass republics. Let them alone. Respect their desire to be Russians. And then finally, renounce any claim to Crimea. It was never part of Ukraine. It was always part of Russia. Let's discard this construct that really emerges as a result of Nikita Khrushchev having a, a drinking contest with his friends from Kiev and the old Communist Party. We refuse to, to even consider those things. And I think we're telling Zelensky, you just hang in there. You just hang in there. Meantime, how many millions of people have run to the West? leaving their homes. How many tens of thousands of Ukrainian troops are actually already dead? How many more are likely to perish pointlessly? We don't know the numbers, and we can't believe the numbers that are told to us by almost anyone. You certainly can't believe anything that comes out of Kiev. So the bottom line is, how much longer do we want this to go? Because we're the ones that could immediately step forward. The president could step forward and say, Mr. Putin, we agree. Ukraine must be neutral. It need not be a member of NATO. We will back 
President Zelensky in that, on that point. And we are willing to sit down and support a conference to hammer out the remaining issues in a way that is mutually beneficial and acceptable to all parties. That is how great powers used to behave. That's how they ended conflicts. We're not doing any of it. Everyone seems to want this to get worse, if anything else. You mentioned earlier about the mentality in Washington. These are a bunch of stupid people, arrogant, never worked a day in their life, most of them, been sucking off the public tit. And they're, again, look at their track record. Nothing but losses. And this guy, as I mentioned, this Reich or Rich, whatever his name is, he goes, we haven't seen this kind of ineptness in a long, long time. I'd say, hey, fat mouth, how about the Iraq war? What about the Afghan war? Oh, that was an ineptness, an ineptness? What, what, a couple of months ago when you pulled out and Biden shot off his mouth that, no, no, Taliban won't go into Kabul or, or take over Afghanistan? Oh, what kind of ineptness are you talking about? America well, hasn't won a war since World War II. Look at the debacle at the Kabul airport. Yeah. I mean, it was incomprehensible. It was, it was a, a clown show. It had no business happening the way it did. No, I, I think we're a mess, and our forces are in no position right now to engage anybody anywhere who could actually fight back. No. And I think that's one of the reasons that in the Department of Defense, people have run silent. You don't hear anybody over in DOD arguing for a widening war. That's well, I think we have the transgender troops that can knock out anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Look, here's the other quote by, by Lindsey Graham. Putin knows no one wins a nuclear exchange. If he ordered a strike on the United States, a general would shoot him in the head. Uh, well, first of all, I don't see any evidence that anybody in, in Moscow wants to order a nuclear strike. So I think it's a dumb idea. I think the Russians are far more worried about what we may or may not do. I mean, we have nuclear armed submarines off their coast. They detected one even before this invasion began, and they were horrified by it. Uh, they've also seen us fly B-52s and uh, potentially nuclear-armed bombers in, right along the edge of their airspace in the air defense identification zone. That's right. We've conducted exercises in the Baltic yep. 50 nautical miles from St. Petersburg. Yep. So they're used to this, and they're uncomfortable with it, and they've asked us to stop it. And I, I've frequently asked, when I was looking into these matters over in DOD, I said, well, how would we react? if the Russians held a major naval exercise off the coast of New England within 50 nautical miles of Boston. We would not be very happy about that. So it, it's an exercise in hypocrisy here. There's no question about it. But there's more to it than just the defense industrial complex. There are key figures behind the scenes who think this is an opportunity to destroy Russia and its leadership. And they're wrong. And I go back to Marco Rubio, who finally got something right and said, Russia is not Iraq. And we need to guard against the assumption that that is the case, because too many people seem to think it is. And I think Senator Lindsey Graham is another one. Oh, we need to stop worrying about the Mr. Mr. Putin, these Russians. What can they do? Well, you'd be really surprised. Well, Graham also said, I'm calling for the crushing of the Russian economy. Putin is a war criminal. He is no longer a legitimate leader. It is time for us to get him gone. Mm. You know, 
I, I wouldn't call Putin any more of a war criminal than George W. Bush. The key thing here is in the, the latest polls that were sent to me from contacts in Poland that got these out of Russia, he has a 70% approval and support rating for everything he is doing in Ukraine inside okay. Russia. Again, that certainly exceeds the approval rating of the current president of the United States. It did not exceed the approval rating of George W. Bush when he launched the Afghan war. He had an 88% of the American people believe this little daddy's boy, born on third base and thought he had a home run, a little nothing of a clown. We're going to get that guy Osama bin Laden, dead or alive. And people swallow that crap. Yeah, the Bombs Away Club in the United States has a lot of members. <laughs> we also know from experience, though, that the enthusiasm for this sort of thing diminishes over time. Yep. I think the good news is that right now, if you look at the current polls, people are almost universally opposed to the notion of a war with Russia. Now, they may say, I support sanctions, I support harsh measures, whatever. But if you press them, do you want a war with Russia? You get almost universally the answer, no. And that's helpful. But it's very tough when you're dealing with the media that seems to be perfectly aligned. This is all reminiscent of Noam Chomsky in his book, Manufactured Consent. Go back to Vietnam. You had a similar circumstance. Yep. The, the non-existent, uh, what was it, the uh, uh, the incident offshore uh, during at the outset of the Vietnam War in 19... Gulf of Tonkin, yeah. Yes, the Gulf of Tonkin, is it never happened? Never happened. Never happened. I wrote about it in one of my books, Trends 2000, back in 1996. One of the, the generals disgusted with what happened and the big lie about it. Again... You know, uh, remember the Maine? <laughs> yes. They've been doing this forever. Yes. They've been oh, doing Randall it forever. Oh, Randolph loved this. Yeah. And, and again, the other book, and the other, when you said who's behind it, I think Smedley Butler's book, uh, Wars a Racket, you know, he, 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 the banksters, you know, the Wall Street guys, the United Fruit back in the day, uh, you know, one after another. I mean, it's, that's who it is. And now, again, as I keep saying, you know, we, we, it's about oil. Oh, and there was, you know, it, it, it's, it's never changed. It's well, never found changed. found an opponent in Russia that cannot be bullied. No, no, no. So tell me before we leave, what, what's, what do you see as the outcome of this? I think there are two possibilities. If a ceasefire is called within the next couple of weeks, Zelensky sits down, I think those terms from the Russians about Crimea, the Donbass, and neutrality could be accepted, and you would have a Ukrainian construct uh, that looks pretty much as it did, minus Crimea, of course, and this, these two republics, Luhansk and Donetsk, and neutrality. If that does not happen, if Zelensky continues to stonewall, then I think you'll end up with a different construct. It will end with the Kiev or Kiev in Russian hands, a boundary along the Dnieper River until you reach the south, and uh, the Russians will move on uh, Odessa and essentially turn what remains of Ukraine in the west into a landlocked country. Oh, boy. All right. 
That's that's one of those two things will happen. Okay. The notion that suddenly everything falls apart, the Russians give up and say, oh, what a mistake. Wish we had stayed home. No. no I, don't, I agree with you. And by the way, the other thing about Crimea, as you said, it's been part of Russia forever. And Khrushchev, uh, when he turned over uh, Ukraine. And, and, and the other thing, too, is that they never talk about is that they had an election in Crimea and over... 80% of the people turned out to vote. It was internationally monitored, and over 95% of the people voted to exit Ukraine. But we yes. won't talk about that. And the other thing that they keep lying about is they say Russia invaded Crimea. And as you well know, what did they have their fleet there? And they had been there forever? They conquered the Crimea in 1776. Yep. So under the rules that they're saying, I guess we should give back California, Arizona, uh, uh, Texas, and all the other land we stole back to Mexico. Yeah, I, I'm sure that there are plenty of Mexicans down in Mexico City who would agree with that. Uh, of course, the historical record shows that at the time we took those lands, if you will, from the Mexicans, there were about 110,000 human beings living in them most of whom were native, so-called Native Americans. We filled it with millions of people very rapidly. Yep. And we transformed it into civilization. So I think it's somewhat different. But nonetheless, your point is well taken. And uh, hopefully we don't end up with a government, uh, and you never know with the left, that decides to do that. That would be frightening. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, the other funny thing, too, by the way, before we say goodbye, is that how they're making a big deal at McDonald's and, and, and Kentucky Fried Chicken and Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola. American symbols are moving out of Russia. I say they should force them to stay in Russia so the people can eat all that crap and get too fat to fight. Well, remember the French fries. Oh, I forgot. We had all these incensed members because the French would not go along with our intention to invade Iraq. Right. Freedom from. Well, that went away. Yeah. This will go away too. Thank you so much, Doug McGregor. Everyone listening, what you're hearing from Mr. McGregor, you are not hearing anywhere, anywhere else. Thank you so much. And pace e amore, peace and love, because that's what we need peace. Peace on Thanks earth, goodwill to men and women. Bye-bye. <laughs> appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.